This morning, I'd like to draw your attention to some words of our Lord Jesus, which I believe are becoming increasingly important for us to understand in the days in which we are living. These words are found here in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly in the opening section commonly referred to as the Beatitudes in verses 3 through 12. Now, there are eight Beatitudes or beautiful attitudes uh, that Jesus uh, refers to in these verses. The first seven of the Beatitudes refer to the essential character of the believer, poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who are merciful and pure in heart and are the peacemakers. But then we come to the eighth and final beatitude, which really deals with the response of the world to the believer. And it's this final beatitude that we're going to talk about today, dealing with what I'm sure is every one of us his favorite subject, and that is the subject of persecution. Persecution. Specifically, persecution for Christ's sake. And so our text this morning of Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, and the title of our message this morning is Persecution for Christ's Sake. Let us begin by reading these three verses. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. Father, we thank you that your word is living and powerful and that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we ask by your spirit this morning that you would speak into our hearts, that by your spirit and through your word you would change and transform our lives. May we be encouraged, strengthened, and built up encouraged in our faith so that we may leave this place rejoicing in your goodness and with the boldness of the Holy Spirit to proclaim your goodness to this world which is lost and without hope. So Father, we ask your blessing upon our time this morning. Would you bless your word to each and every one of our hearts, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the story is told of the well-known evangelist and preacher, John Wesley, who lived in the 1800s in England. Uh, and one day, John Wesley was riding on his horse, uh, and, and he got down from his horse, and he began to pray, asking the Lord to show him if his lack of persecution was due to any unconfessed sin in his life. Uh, and while he was on his knees before God, an unsaved man passing by recognized him as the preacher he really didn't like. And the man picked up a brick from the side of the road and he threw it at John Wesley. 
Now, the brick missed the evangelist, uh, but John Wesley saw it as an answer to prayer. Thank God, he said, it's all right. I still have his presence. Now, in many ways, it's always seemed rather strange to me why in the world the world would not like a Christian. You look at the seven Beatitudes, which we referenced a few moments ago, which give a description of the character of a Christian, and we read of somebody who is humble, someone who is meek, who is gentle, who is merciful, who is compassionate, who is loving, someone with pure motives, someone who is honest, someone who is doing their best to make peace. I mean, what's not to like about a person like that? In fact, such a person would seem like the ideal person. And so you would think that a person like this would be loved by the world, even admired by the world. And yet, the reality, as we see it in the New Testament, and indeed in the world today, is that rather than the world having love and admiration for the Christian, we often find that the opposite is true, that there is opposition, that there is even hostility. And of course, Jesus himself gives us the ultimate example of this. Jesus himself was indeed the perfect person. He exemplified all of those beatitudes perfectly. He was perfectly humble, perfectly compassionate, perfectly loving, perfectly righteous, and so on and so forth. And yet we found that the world hated him. And indeed, the world still hates him today. And so in some ways, it may seem a rather strange response for the world to hate and indeed persecute Christ and his followers. But in reality, it really isn't strange at all. And when persecution and hostility come our way, it really shouldn't surprise us. As Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so Jesus made it very clear. This would be the response of the world toward us as believers. And so when persecution comes our way, it ought not to surprise us. It's not strange. It's not abnormal. According to the Bible, it's really something that we should expect. Now, this idea of being persecuted for being a Christian can be difficult for many of us to really fully understand. Uh, and that is because for the most part in the Western world, in America, back in the UK, for the most part, during most of our lifetimes, being a Christian has been largely a culturally acceptable thing. You know, for many of us, the idea of really suffering from our for our faith may seem a bit far removed from our own personal experiences. Uh, but I do firmly believe it is becoming increasingly important for us as Christians living in this world today to have a thoroughly biblical perspective on the subject of persecution. 
Because in recent years, the tide has been turning. Turning against biblical Christianity, perhaps to a greater extent than ever before in any of our lifetimes. Today, we're seeing a change in cultural values. We're even seeing changes in the law of the land. In, in, in all of these things, we are seeing biblical truth becoming increasingly unpopular. And we've seen Christians who believe and express biblical truth suffering for their faith in ways that perhaps we haven't seen before in our nations during our lifetimes. And I have no doubt whatsoever that there are people in positions of power and authority in our nations today who, if they had their own way, would silence pulpits, would put preachers of the gospel in prison, and would make any public expression of Christian truth illegal. Now, I don't want to overstate the fact all of that might happen one day. Indeed, it will happen one day. But for sure, we see it beginning to happen today. Uh, And here really is a great danger for the church. Because in such circumstances, in an environment in which the world is becoming increasingly hostile toward the church, there is a natural tendency for us as Christians and for the church in general Uh, maybe not being used to opposition and hostility, maybe haven't gotten used to being culturally accepted by the world, uh, to think that something strange must be happening to us when we find ourselves being persecuted. And the temptation then comes to think, well, you know what? Maybe we need to change our message a little bit. Maybe we need to stop talking about some of the things that the world finds unacceptable. Maybe we need to focus more upon those things which the world does find acceptable. Maybe in order to reach the world, we need to become a little bit more like the world. Or at very the least, maybe if we uh, you know, do things in which would make the world like us. And my concern for the church today is we are faced with this shift in what is culturally acceptable and in which true biblical Christianity is becoming increasingly unpopular is that the church can become more concerned about being popular and culturally accepted by the world than they are with being faithful to God and the truth of his word. It is a great danger and there is great temptation to that end. And so we need to understand We really need to understand today that persecution, opposition, hostility toward believers in Jesus Christ is not a strange thing, it's not unusual, it's not abnormal, it is precisely what Jesus said that we would face. It is exactly what we find time and time again throughout the pages of Scripture. It's exactly what we've seen throughout 2,000 years of church history. In fact, it's estimated that there are more Christians in the world today who are really suffering for their faith than at any time before in human history. But notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecuted. Now that's a fascinating statement from Jesus. It seems like a contradiction. Blessed are those who are persecuted. 
Because if we're honest, we have a tendency, I think, to think the opposite is true. Blessed are those who are not persecuted. We live in a country where we're not persecuted. How blessed we are. But Jesus said here, blessed are those who are persecuted. You know, we can look at those who are persecuted at times and think that they're cursed, really, rather than blessed. But Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, there are three things outlined in these three verses that I want to share with you this morning concerning persecution. Uh, The first thing to note is the reason for the persecution Jesus Jesus is talking about. The reason for the persecution in verse 10. Notice the reason Jesus gives. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Again, in verse 11, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, for Christ's sake. So the reason for the persecution that Jesus is speaking of here is persecution for righteousness' sake, persecution for Christ's sake. Now, what does that mean? Uh, Well, firstly, notice what Jesus does not say here in this verse. He doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted for just any reason. He does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being rude. Or blessed are those who are persecuted for being obnoxious. Or blessed are those who are persecuted for being self-righteous and arrogant. Jesus is saying that if I am to be blessed in my persecution, my persecution has to be for the right reasons. It has to be for righteousness' sake, for Christ's sake. And I do think it is possible that we as Christians can be on the receiving end of what we would call persecution, but not really for righteousness' sake, not really for Christ's sake but what for in reality is our own unrighteous behaviour. And we need to be careful of that. It's important that when we speak, that we speak the truth in love, with grace, with wisdom, with all humility, not trying to be clever, not trying to win an argument at any cost, but speaking the truth in love, seeking to win that person for Christ. And so we need to be very clear in terms of what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about those who are persecuted, those who are suffering, because they are standing for those things which are right, for those things which are true, the things that Jesus says are right, the things that his word says are true. Those who are willing to speak the truth about sin and the need for salvation against the tide of the prevailing morals and opinions of the day. So when Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, he's not talking about persecution for just any reason. He's being very specific. It's persecution for righteousness sake, persecution for Christ's sake, persecution because we love Christ, because we serve Christ, because we preach Christ. And this kind of persecution is something that we see time and again throughout the pages of the New Testament. Uh, Let me give you a few examples. In the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 22, we're told that the apostles uh, were traveling around 
visiting the churches and that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You see, for the apostles, going through persecution, opposition, hostility, tribulation, that was inevitable. It was an inevitable part of the Christian life. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Back in Acts chapter 4 and 5, uh, the apostles Peter and John, they were arrested and put in prison by the religious authorities. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 40, we're told that when those authorities called for the apostles and had beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So the apostles departed from the presence of the council, and what were they doing? They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. They were arrested, put in prison, beaten, commanded to stop preaching the gospel. And how did they respond? Rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You see, they saw persecution for Christ's sake as a privilege. And they rejoiced. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 29. He said, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Did you hear what he said? He said, to you it has been granted to suffer for his sake. In other words, you don't have to suffer, but you get to suffer. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that's been granted to you that you would suffer for his name's sake. Uh, all of this is summed up very well for us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, where the Apostle Paul said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise. That's a promise of God to his church. Now, I will say, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 is not the kind of verse that you would usually find on a fridge magnet or that you would usually put on a bookmark or that you would usually write at the bottom of a birthday card as you give it to a loved one. But the reality is, persecution and suffering for Christ's sake is really a normal part of the Christian life as it is described in the Bible. And it always has been. It always has been. Wherever and whenever Christians have taken a biblical stand against the tide of the prevailing morals and opinions of the day in order to speak the truth about sin and to preach the truth of the gospel to see sinners saved, forgiven, and set free. Now, to take this one step further, it's probably worth pointing out why this is the case. Why is it that the world would be so hostile towards Christ and his followers. Well, John Stott said of this, he said, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable values systems. 
What did he mean? Well, he means that we must understand that this issue of persecution is at its heart a spiritual issue. As Christians living here in this world, we are in a spiritual battle. And we are in a spiritual battle each and every day. And on the one hand, we have God's system of righteousness and truth working itself out through the church. Through those whom Christ has saved. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God who desires that none should perish but all should come to repentance. We have God's people living out God's truth unto God's glory. But then on the other hand, there is Satan. And Satan's system of unrighteousness and lies that works itself out in and through the world around us. Satan who is trying to hinder the truth about sin and the need for salvation so that he can deceive people, deceive them all the way to hell. And these two systems, God's system of righteousness and truth and Satan's system of unrighteousness and lies are in total opposition to one another. The two cannot be reconciled. And so conflict is inevitable. And so we need to know and we need to remember that when we are faced with opposition, with hostility, with persecution, we are in a spiritual battle. And the weapons that God has given us to use in a spiritual battle are not physical weapons, but spiritual weapons. And we need to pray. We need to be in prayer and we need to be in the word. We need to be praying in faith that God would give us the boldness that we need to speak the truth. We need to be praying that God would give us the wisdom that we need to do it in love. We are in a spiritual battle. Persecution is a spiritual issue. And the answer to persecution is a spiritual solution. We need to be on our knees in prayer. We need to be in the word. And we need to be standing firm on the truth of God. And so, when Jesus speaks of those who are blessed in their persecution... The reason for the persecution he is speaking about is not general, but it's very specific. It is persecution for righteousness' sake, persecution for Christ's sake. And if our character and conduct is like Christ, and if we are speaking the truth of Christ and we are obedient to Christ, the reality is sooner or later, we will experience opposition. We will experience hostility. We will experience persecution. And that brings us to our second point. We've looked at the reason for persecution that Jesus gives. Uh, secondly, we note in verse 11, the nature of persecution. Take a look at verse 11. Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now we know that back in the first century, many of the early Christians were tortured and killed for their faith in Christ. You may recall the first martyr in Acts chapter 7, his name was Stephen. He was stoned to death. 
In Acts chapter 12, the apostle James was killed by Herod. Uh, All of the apostles except the apostle John were eventually martyred. And we know under Emperor Nero in the first century, there were thousands upon thousands of Christians that were put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, And that pattern has continued across the world throughout the centuries. It's often been said that the history of the church is red with the blood of its martyrs. And if you've ever read through church history, you will know that to be the case. Men like John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, uh, John Huss. If you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll know about the history of persecution throughout the centuries that believers have faced. If you haven't read that book, I'd encourage you to read it. It's a very sobering uh, book, uh, but a very encouraging one to read the resoluteness of the faith uh, of these men and women who stood firm in the face of opposition, even to the point of martyrdom. And of course, this kind of persecution is still happening very much in the world today. And you go to China, you go to Iran, uh, North Korea, many other places uh, where torture uh, and threat of death uh, for professing faith in Christ is a very real threat each and every day. Now, many of us here this morning may not have experienced persecution on that kind of level, being physically beaten up, being put in prison. Uh, we Certainly none of us here have ever been killed for our faith, of course, we're all still here. Um, but there are, of course, many less extreme but just as real types of persecution. Uh, While we don't want in any way to minimize the suffering of uh, many brothers and sisters around the world that are suffering in such an extreme way, uh, we don't have to think of persecution only in that extreme sense. Because there are many other types of persecution that exist. Uh, In fact, notice what Jesus says in verse 11. He gives us three things, uh, three types of persecution, if you like. Uh, Blessed are you when they revile you. Now, reviling is the idea of of, of mocking, uh, saying bad things about you, calling you names. Uh, Blessed are you when they persecute you. The word persecute used there, it means to pursue or to follow or to harass. People who, who harass you, treat you differently because you're a Christian. And thirdly, He says, blessed are you when they uh, speak all kinds of evil against you falsely. Uh, That that is slander. You know, when they try and find things to throw at you, when they try and accuse you of of things uh, in order to kind of bring you down and get you in trouble. Uh, And so persecution, you know, it it doesn't just have to uh, be prison and torture and death. There are other kinds of persecution as well. Persecution that may involve having your family or friends turn against you because you're a Christian. Having your unsaved spouse mock you because you pray or read your Bible. Uh, Having your friends at school uh, or or in college laugh at you or uh, not want to be around you because you're a Christian. Maybe discrimination at work, being passed over for promotion or being demoted or even sacked because you express biblical views and opinions. This kind of ridicule, mocking, ostracizing uh, is not as uncommon. And if I ask you the question, has anybody here been 
mocked or made fun of or been harassed or slandered for their faith. Uh, I expect there'd be a few of you who would understand what we're talking about. You know, and this kind of thing is, is very real and it can be very serious. Uh, and if you haven't experienced this kind of persecution, uh, don't worry, just give it some time. It'll come. Now, for the sake of balance here, it's important to note that, of course, not everyone in the world will actively hate us all the time as Christians. At times, God gives us favor with the world, gives us favor with the ungodly. And of course, if we preach the gospel, there are people who will believe the truth of the gospel and will be saved. But generally speaking, if we live obedient to Christ... Sooner or later, we will experience these kinds of things. We will be mocked. We will be harassed. We will be persecuted. And so Jesus explains to us the nature of persecution. And that brings us to our third and final point. The third and final point Jesus gives in verse 12. And that is our response to persecution. He's given us the reason for persecution, for righteousness' sake, for Christ's sake, the nature of persecution, reviling, mocking, slander, and so on. Now, what is our response to persecution to be? Well, take a look at verse 12. Jesus says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Hang on a second. What? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. To quote John Stott one more time, he said that when we are persecuted, we should not retaliate like an unbeliever. We should not sulk like a child. We should not lick our wounds in self-pity like a dog. We should not just grin and bear it like a stoic. We should not pretend we enjoy it like a masochist, but we are to rejoice. We are to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now you might say, well, why on earth should I rejoice in, in, in the face of persecution? How can I rejoice? Well, as Jesus said, because you are blessed. Because you are blessed. For great is your reward in heaven. Back in verse 10. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. And as we bring our time to a close together this morning, I want to share with you two reasons, two blessings that come to us in the midst of persecution. Two reasons that we have to rejoice and be exceedingly glad even in the midst of persecution. Firstly, there is the blessing of grace that is promised to us in this life. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. The Apostle Peter, he knew what it was to be persecuted. 
Uh, he suffered great persecution himself many times. And so it's no surprise that when he writes his letters, he talks a lot about persecution. And when Peter is writing about persecution, he's not just talking about persecution in theory. He's not just sitting in his sort of high lofty tower, detached from the world, telling everybody how they ought to live. Peter lived it himself. Peter went through it himself. Peter experienced it himself. And so what Peter is telling us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is what he had learned through his own persecution. What he had learned to be true in his own life. Take a look what he says, 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Why? For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. There is a special blessing of God's grace that rests upon the one who is persecuted for Christ's sake. That special blessing of God's grace that comes to us by the Holy Spirit is not given to us to take away the persecution necessarily, but is given us in order to help us and empower us and enable us to endure through the persecution unto the glory of God. And so the person who is being persecuted for righteousness sake is a person upon whom the Spirit of God rests in a special and a unique and a great way to enable them, to strengthen them and to empower them in the midst of that persecution. And that is vitally important for us to know and to understand. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I read about brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, and I read about how they suffer greatly for Christ's sake, and how they're, they're, they're beaten up, and how their homes are broken into, and how, you know, there's sort of, you know, all kinds of, you know, horrible stuff happens to them. And I think, gosh, you know, if that was me, now, how, how would I respond in that situation? And then you read about their testimonies, about how they, they suffer for Christ and they give glory to Christ in the midst of it. You know, and, and they don't compromise and they stand firm on the truth, even in the midst of the most violent opposition. And you think, you know, if that was me, I'm not sure I'd be able to be that bold. I'm not sure if I would be able to stand so firmly in the midst of that. But you see, here's what we need to know and understand is that there is a special blessing of God's grace that rests upon the one who is being persecuted. 
In other words, God gives us the strength that we need when we need it. And you may be sitting here this morning thinking, well, you know what, I don't feel that strong that if that kind of thing happened to me, I don't know if I would be able to endure it. But here's the promise of God. God says, I will give you the strength that you need by my spirit to endure it, and not only to endure it, but to endure it unto the praise and honor of my glory. And knowing that promise of God should encourage us and should strengthen us and should help us to be bold in standing for the truth of the gospel here in this world. And so we can rejoice and we can be exceedingly glad even when opposition, hostility and persecution comes our way because we know that the blessing of God's grace by his spirit will rest upon us even in the midst of that. But back in Matthew chapter 5 as we close, the second blessing, the blessing that Jesus speaks of here, is not so much the blessing of grace in this life, but the blessing of hope, the hope of the life which is to come. Notice Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad and keep your eyes on heaven. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because you have a future and a hope a glorious future and a glorious hope. You see, Jesus Christ came into this world really for one reason and one reason only. He came to die on a cross for the sins of the world. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. But that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And so Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, God in the flesh, who came into this world, lived a perfect life, the life that we could not live on account of our sin. And he died there on the cross of Calvary, in your place and in my place, taking upon himself the penalty of your sins and mine. And how do we know that Jesus did that? How do we know that he could do that? Because in the words of the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, because death could not hold him. Death could not hold him. Because on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he not only proved that he was indeed who he said he was, God in the flesh, he proved that his sacrifice for our sins was accepted by God on our behalf. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus gained not only the victory over sin, but the victory over death and the victory over Satan and the victory over even hell itself. It was his victory that gained our salvation and his victory that has brought us the hope, the blessed hope of eternal life. You know, a little bit earlier this morning, we sang about heaven. 
And it's a wonderful thing to think about. A wonderful thing to think about what it will be like when we get to heaven. Because that is our hope. That is the future that awaits us in Christ Jesus. Yes, here in this world, in Christ, we have been forgiven of all our sins. We stand justified before God. We are at peace with God. Yes, here in this world today, we have been adopted into the family of God. We are his children. He is our father. We are together brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, here in this life, our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit in Christ. The Holy Spirit who empowers us and enables us to do all that God has called us to do, even to endure through persecution. But you know, the Holy Spirit also gives us the assurance, the assurance that one day we will see Jesus. And when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he truly is. And in that day, we will be free from sin and free from pain and free from suffering and free from death because we will be in his presence, in his presence in which there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And so Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul could say in Romans chapter 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us today and I pray, Lord, for each of my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord, I pray for those that may be going through persecution, whether it be at work, whether it be with friends, wherever it may be. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would empower them and strengthen them in a great and a mighty way to enable them to endure what they are facing and to the praise and honour of your glory. Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them? Would you bless them this day, I pray. Lord, and for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would continue to strengthen us and empower us by your Spirit, that we may be your witnesses here in this world, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our colleges, in our communities, that you would use us to bring the hope and the light of the truth of the gospel to this world that is lost and without hope. And finally, Father, we thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, we give you all the praise, honour and the glory. We're so thankful, we're so blessed. We praise you, we bless your name, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 